want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. We'll be looking at, uh, starting at chapter 18, 1 Samuel chapter 18. Tonight I want us to look at the big picture. When faced with decisions and crossroads in life, what is the big picture? Uh, so often we think of the short-term gains instead of looking at the long haul. I also want us to look at the mess that our world is in, that we find ourselves in. Most of us know what a mess looks like because we've been there. We were once a mess. Uh, I was a mess when I first came to Christ. I was like a lot of high school students. Um, I was following the crowd and doing the things that many of the kids in my high school were doing. I was headed in the wrong direction. My life was a mess. So I, I know what a mess looks like. And I had a cousin who was really in the same situation that I'm in today, as in then. But today, he continues to struggle with alcoholism and some addictions and different things because he didn't find that crossroad, that place, that point of conversion in his life and begin to follow Christ and walk with him. And So many of us, we could testify to that. We could testify that, you know, before I met Christ, whether it was roller skating and a roller skating rink or um, living my life and self-centered and wanting life my way, um, we could say our life was a mess, but Christ has changed all that. And we often say to ourselves, don't we, if it, not, if it was not for the grace of God, there go I. It's our way of expressing our uh, gratitude in a way, for all that Christ has done for us, but it's also our way of expressing our understanding. Had we not made a choice to follow Christ, one another, another thing I learned about that we've learned about messes, and Pastor Chuck Cowie can attribute to this. Uh, if it's been a long time, you're getting yourself into the mess. It usually takes a long time to get yourself out. If I've continued in this pattern, this habit, this direction. For many, many years, it, I'm not going to immediately be transformed. I can immediately be transformed from forgiveness, and God takes my sins and throws them as far as the east is from the west, but it takes a while of walking with the Lord for him to transform us. Uh, for me, that happened, uh, I, I remember being a youth pastor, and, and um, when I was a high school senior, when I accepted Christ in my junior year, I had cleaned up my language. Before then, before I was a Christian, I swore like other kids in the, in the school, and my language wasn't appropriate. And, and I could speak properly in front of my parents, but at school, and when I became a Christian, I immediately changed that. It immediately began, but I, every now and then it would slip. Those words would come, and, and I remember being a youth pastor, and there were some kids that got themselves into some trouble that they shouldn't have been involved in, and I remember swearing as a youth pastor in my mind because I was put in a situation where I had to hold them accountable for their action. And I'm thinking, how long, Lord? How long will these thoughts, these words, bubble up to the surface? So the longer I've participated in this mess, and we all know what a mess looks like because we really, we were one the longer it takes for me to trust the Lord and allow Him to renew our minds. 
We think of this as true with pornography. You know, if a young person gets engaged in pornography, it's difficult for them to escape the bonds. But the Lord does. He renews our minds. And so tonight I, I want us to look at a scripture and talk a little bit about the big picture. Having a long view at the crossroads of life. This story is the story of David before he became king. It happened all about a thousand years before the birth of Christ. The Philistines were superior uh, warriors. They had superior weapons. They had horses and chariots. As a matter of fact, if you read the story of Jonathan, you'll find that uh, when Jonathan went to fight the Philistines with his armor bearer, that he only had a sword, and his dad had a sword. Why? And the reason for that was the Philistines controlled all the blacksmiths. And so they made it so the Israelites could not have their own blacksmiths. And so they controlled the production of weapons. And if you wanted your um, uh, forks sharpened, you had to go to a Philistine blacksmith, and he would charge you a certain fee for that, and it's there in the scripture. If you wanted your plows sharpened, you had to go to a Philistine blacksmith, and he would take care of that. And so in the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer, there was just the king who had a sword and Jonathan who had a sword. And so they were really militarily at a disadvantage. Now, the 12 tribes were larger in number than the Philistines, but they were really quite, uh, there wasn't unity. There was no central office of leadership, uh, there was no place of authority. They were 12 individual tribes, each having their own leaders in those tribes. And every now and then, when one tribe would be faced with a problem, the other tribe would rally around them. But there wasn't a central wise administration. And so they were seeking for a king. I have a video that I think Marcus put together for us, a little bit about how unity is better than disunity. So the Israelites thought, you know, there's unity and strength. 
So the Israelites thought there is unity and strength, and so they said, you know what we need? We need, like everybody else, to have a king. And so they cried out for a king. Well, 1 Samuel starts out with the story of Hannah. And Hannah is uh, a woman who's barren. She doesn't have any children. And, and uh, she asked the Lord, Lord, would you bring me a child? And the Lord gives her a son whom she names Samuel. And Samuel, she loved Samuel. And, but when he was weaned, she made a promise to the Lord that she would give this child back to the Lord. And so when Samuel was old enough to be taken to the priest, Eli, he was taken to the priest to be raised by the priest. And of course, you know the story of Eli. Eli's sons really disrespected the priesthood. And, and when Samuel grew up, he became the next priest. And priests were, they were really kind of um, prophets and priests and military leaders. And uh, Samuel then would anoint uh, the first king of Israel, Saul. He, he was reluctant to do so because, well, he didn't think it was a good idea. God should be our king, and, and the Lord didn't think it was a good idea that I should be your king. And so he was reluctant, but because the people asked for a king, he anointed Saul as their first king. And uh, Saul really was a good king in the very beginning. Uh, he... Uh, was sensitive to the leading of the Lord, but then he took matters into his own hands. Um, and when he took matters into his own hands, it was at a time of battle, and, and instead of waiting for Samuel to come and, and to bless and to do the things that a priest should do before they went into battle, um, he was seven days late. So Saul, the king, he took matters into his own hands, and he did the blessing, and they went into battle. And, and of course, because of that, because of his disobedience to God, um, he found dishonor with God. And, and the Lord took his spirit from Saul, and, and he began to search for another king. And so Samuel then was instructed to go to, down to see Jesse. And Jesse had several sons, and and, uh, you know, the story, they brought one son after another son after another son, and, and neither, none of them were to be the next king. And as uh, Samuel w- looked at these sons, uh, finally he said, don't you have any other children, any other sons? And he said, well, I've got a little boy. He's out in the field tending the sheep. And, and Samuel said to Jesse, well, sin... For this boy, well, the boy was David, and when Samuel saw David, he knew that this was God's anointed, and he anointed him, and the spirit of God was with David, and, and he was he was in the uh, caring for the sheep. He battled a lion and a bear, and, and won in both of those cases. And his brothers, they were serving in the military at the time, and and uh, fighting for Israel, and and Jesse. David's dad said, hey, go down and take some food to your brothers. And so he took all this food down to deliver to his brothers who were a part of the battle. And when he got there, there was this giant, Goliath, calling the people out, taunting them. And, and of course, you know the story of David and Goliath. And with one little stone, 
David kills Goliath. And he becomes very uh, well known by the people of Israel. He becomes a commander and a leader of the armies and and he begins to kill tens of thousands and they begin to sing songs about David. David kills his tens of thousands while Saul only his thousand. And, And Saul becomes jealous of David. And that's kind of where we take up this story. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 14, verse 15. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. You see, he was such a success that the people were beginning to follow David. Saul was worried about his own leadership and and how David was a threat to his leadership. Verse 16 says, But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaign. So Saul had a, in his mind, well, you know what I'll do? I'll have him marry one of my daughters. And so he offers a daughter to him. Well, David's not interested in this first daughter. And, and uh, he says, um, you know, who am I? I'm nothing more than a servant. My clan is the least of the clans, and who am I that I should be the king's, marry the king's daughter? And so the people not only said, David, who killed his ten thousand, now he's saying, David, David, David the humble. David, David the humble. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. And Saul heard of this, and because David kind of had an interest in her as well, his second daughter, it's actually, if you kind of read the story, it's really the third, because when he killed Goliath, that was one of the things that he could get for killing Goliath was, was Saul's daughter. So I don't know if there's three daughters in this story, or if this is one of the two, but, but now he's on at least the second daughter in the story. And when Saul heard this, he said, you know, I tell you what, here's the bride Christ. All you need to do is go and kill 100 Philistines. Saul thought to himself, I'll let the Philistines deal with him. They'll kill him for sure. And I won't have to worry about David anymore. And of course, David goes out and he kills 200 Philistines, and he brings out, brings back to them uh, evidence of that. Then we turn to tw- chapter 24, 1 Samuel chapter 24. All this time, Saul is looking for ways to kill David because he's jealous of David. Because the people who lead, and David was leading, people look up to them, and they follow them. Saul was saying, David, you're the leader. I'm not. And that bothered him because, well, he wanted Jonathan to be the next king. He wanted to pass down all this that he'd, acquired from generation to generation 
as kings often do. He wanted to keep intact his, his family tree. And so he was being protective not only of himself, but also his children and his grandchildren's future, his, his legacy. And so all this time, Saul is seeking to kill David. 1 Samuel 24.1 After Samuel returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the de- desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the, the crags and the wild goats. So here he is hiding in the desert. And there's these caves. And, and David's there with his 600 men. And King Saul is looking for him with his 3,000 men. And, of course, all the additional people that it would need to support those 3,000 soldiers that were with him. So you have this large parade going through the desert looking for King David. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and they set out. He came to the sheep's pen along along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. And of course, this is the only time in Scripture where we find the Scripture mentioning a bathroom experience. So we just see this. Here's David hiding in the cliffs and the caves because they could see this band of 3,000 soldiers and those that were with him coming. And so they hid in the cave. Saul, King Saul, needs to go to the bathroom. And so he goes to a cave. And there's David in the cave. Now, what are the odds of that? All of his men scattered and went into different caves. But here probably was Saul and a small group of men. Verse 4. The men Saul was with said... This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. I will give your enemies in your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And David finds himself at a crossroads. He has a decision to make. We would argue logically that God had given him an opportunity to kill Saul. Saul had been pursuing him for quite some time. And Saul obviously considered David an enemy. And so it would make logical sense for David to kill Saul in that cave. His men would have argued, Saul, this is the day. This is the day. Can you imagine? It would be a bloodless just pretty much a bloodless coup. Here's David hiding in the cave and Saul going to the bathroom. Just a grab of his hair and a quick slash of the knife. David could simply walk out with the king's head in his hands. And those people who knew who the real leader was would have followed David. It made logical sense. It seemed like the right thing. God had provided this opportunity 
But what is David's response? His men said, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. So David was at a crossroads and he chose the big picture. Let God deal with Saul. You see, it would have been real simple for him to cut off his head and immediately become the next king. And yet, what story would he tell? Granddad, tell me, tell me how you became king. How was it that you became king? Well, your great-grandfather was in the cave. and So here you're killing your own wife's husband, dad, daddy. And, and he took the big picture. Sometimes, you know, we, we make a mess and we can argue about um, the way to handle it. We make messes financially. We make messes relationally. We make messes academically. We make messes um, with our families. I, so often I have families that come and, and uh, their, their, their lives a mess. Um, there's such dissension between family members and and even though a child may be quite uh, disobedient and, and not respectful of mom and dad, mom and dad will still care for that child to the point of enabling their bad behavior. I, I see it time and time again, bailing them out of one situation after another situation, paying a price for them, thinking that they're loving them, and in reality they're enabling bad behavior. Allowing a mess to become messier. And we know what a mess looks like. Um, I know this is kind of trite, but you know, recently I just bought a new car. I've been, um, had a, an uninsured motorist hit us, and, and I had this Malibu, this 19, 2003 green Malibu that I never really liked. But it was great for us financially. It was just an inexpensive car, and it... I had it from 13,000 miles to 184,000 miles, and it was just a good, dependable car. And I didn't like it, but I knew it was my way of getting out of debt. It was a way of my being able to pay cash for future purchases and that type of thing. And, and so when the car was wrecked, I thought, you know, I probably just need to go ahead and get something new, take the insurance and, and buy something newer and... and uh, so I went to the auction, I looked here and there, and, and I actually went to the bank and, and figured out, well, if you know, I could get an additional $8,000 interest-free on this credit card, and I have 18 months to pay it off, and there's no interest. I mean, it's a, and so you begin to rationalize how to do this. But you see, the long view is really, for me, what's, 
I finally got to that place where I paid cash for everything. Do I really want to go back? I know this is really trivial, but part of Christian living is really taking a long view and realizing, you know, it's the hard work, it's making the hard decisions, the hard choices that really enables us to have the easier choices down the road. And the Lord really provided. I bought a car much for much less than uh, I intended and I was able to pay cash. I had $250 left in my savings after I bought the car. And, and, and really, I just, I actually, it's beautiful. Well, the other day, I had the car in the driveway, and I've been cleaning it up, and, and there's tar. I mean, there's just tons of tar on the one side, and I got all the tar off the paint. But there was still tar in the wheel wells. And, uh, you know, nobody sees that, but I, you know, it just, it's, I like things kind of just so. It's just part of my personality. And uh, so I take lighter fluid and I put it in a spray bottle and I'm spraying and, and that tar is just melting off down onto the driveway. And, and I've got a bug sponge and I'm scrubbing with this bug sponge and spraying and scrubbing and spraying. And, and, and you could see it's getting cleaner and cleaner and I'm thinking finally this stuff is coming off. And of course I'm rinsing the car off all along and, and at the end of it I, I'm pleased. I'm really pleased. Well, the sun came up and the driveway dried and here's black tar all over the driveway. I made a mess messier. And sometimes we do that with our relationships. Sometimes we do it financially. Sometimes we do it um, academically. Sometimes professionally. Uh, And my experience tells me that uh, when we come at those crossroads of decisions in life, really it's the long view. What is the story that we want to be told? What is the story we want to tell? Granddad, how was that again? How did you get yourself out of that situation? You see, the big picture involves integrity and honesty and patience and self-control. It involves listening to the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, reading his word and allowing his word to guide us into all truth and to walk in that truth. And it may not be the most expedient choice at the moment, but it's always the best choice. Well, here was David in the cave. He had every opportunity to take Saul's life. But he decided to leave that with the Lord. And of course, if you read the story, you'll see that David then comes out of the cave and everybody there that day would have known exactly what happened. As soon as David appeared, that's the same cave that Saul came out of. And there are all the drama of 3,000 people looking upon David. And here's David. Yelling to Saul, 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 Why is it that you continue to pursue me? See, I do not want to take your life. I am nothing more than your servant. Have mercy on me. Saul says, you are a better man than I am, if you read the scripture. But Saul's jealousy continues, and he continues then after this to pursue David. David is once again given another opportunity. God causes 
Saul and his men to fall asleep, and David comes upon them with uh, his man and one of his his uh, armor bearers say, let me take the king's sword and run him through with one blow, and I'll take care of him. David says no. He takes his sword and his water jug, and again, when Saul wakes up, says to him, why do you continue to pursue me? The very last chapter, chapter 31, Saul is in battle with the Philistines. And an archer's arrow is shot and it pierces his armor, mortally wounding Saul. And Saul says to his armor bearer, kill me so that they do not take my body and take me alive and have their way. Just kill me. And his armor bearer refuses to do so and so he takes his spear and falls on his spear. And of course David becomes the next king of Israel. Sometimes in life, life's a mess. We know what a mess looks like because we were one. Or we are one. And God is in the work of transforming and renewing and guiding us. It's not always instantaneous. We accept Christ and we're forgiven of our sins and we begin to walk towards Him. But He renews our minds and He helps us to deal with the mess. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, we're so grateful for Your Word. So often in life, um, there's decisions to be made. We are crossroads, and and nobody would argue if we made that investment or bought that car or did this or that. But it may not be your best. Help us to live our lives in such a way that we seek first your kingdom. In every relationship, would you give us wisdom to know how to handle the difficulty of relationships? Would you help us to love as we've been loved? Help us to serve as you came to serve. Help us to have wisdom, Lord. Not to enable bad behavior, but to love and to support, taking a strong stand, helping those that we love to move forward. So many of the decisions of life, Lord, really aren't that easy, not always that clear cut, but we seek first you and your word, and we ask you for your wisdom, like David, help us to take the long view, help us to ask the question, what story is it that we would like to have told about us, and we ask all this in your wonderful name.